0: I mean, case studies have been done on this. So when you look at cities who have grown either in actual population or they've grown in you know, quote-unquote hipness, but cities like Austin, Texas, or Portland, Oregon, or Philadelphia, for example, or Minneapolis, Minnesota, every single one of these cities utilized arts and entertainment not as a, oh yeah, that also happens here. They used arts and entertainment as a keystone to the foundation of how they were going to rebuild and remodel their city and change perceptions of how people from the outside looked inward on their cities. So the arts and entertainment community, in my opinion, is just an important role in recreating that perception of Hartford as building jobs and capital.
1: Welcome to Disinvested. A podcast about reimagining a city and building a stronger, more inclusive community, created by the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. I'm Tyler Johnson. This episode is about arts and culture. You just heard from Chip McCabe. Chip is the director of placemaking and events for the Hartford Business Improvement District. At their core, arts and culture bring people together over a shared experience of wonder. However, arts and culture are not just nice, they're necessary. Arts and culture contribute heavily to the economic growth of our region. They can help build the skills we need for the modern workforce. They can help children deal with the trauma they've experienced or help connect multiple generations around a shared passion for the stage. Arts and culture are weaved throughout the region and touch on nearly every aspect of our work at the Harvard Foundation. The question as we look forward is, how can we take what's great about our local arts and culture and use it to help unlock our untapped potential? In this episode, we'll examine how arts and culture can do even more for our region.
2: You know, we will this year be running somewhere between 25 and $30 million through our box office.
1: David Fay is the president and CEO for the Bushnell Center for the Performing Arts, the largest arts organization in Connecticut.
2: The number that is usually ascribed for compounded economic impact is about a multiple of about seven. Seven times 30, if my math serves me, is, you know, 200 and some odd million dollars that that the Bushnell alone provides, uh, you know, incentives into the economy. We employ 55 to 60 full-time people, um, but then we have hundreds of part-time people. And then, of course, our many friends in the restaurant business, when we have a show like Hamilton running for three weeks, they're, you know, filled to the brim all evening long. Arts and culture are not only an important economic driver in that direct way, but if you talk to the major employers in the area, when... um, They're out there looking for talent to work for their companies. Folks who are considering working for those companies look at the entire community. In fact, it's been said, uh, a lot of studies have shown that the millennials now are often picking a city or a community or an area of the country that they want to live in. They move there and then they go look for a job. If we are going to be competitive uh, with other parts of the country and other uh, towns and communities and cities... Cultural arts is a very important part of, of the array of offerings that really has to be present.
1: Bonnie Koba is the Senior Program Associate for the Connecticut State Office of the Arts.
3: There was a review done by the Bureau of Economic Analysis and the National Endowment for the Arts, and a report came out in 2015, which noted that the arts generate $763 billion per year, or 4.2% of the GDP. So those numbers, uh, in terms of the percent of GDP, is more than agriculture, transportation, or warehousing. And in Connecticut, there were, at that time, 2015, recorded 57,236 employed in the arts in Connecticut. So that's a pretty
0: significant industry. So if you work in the insurance industry and you have your pick of job locations, right? Once again, Chip McCabe of the Hartford Business Improvement District. Even within the one company, let's say you you work for Aetna or the Hartford or Travelers, whoever, and you're offered a job in multiple, you have your pick of cities where you could work. Are you going to pick the city that just simply gives you the best chance to make the most money? Or are you gonna look at those locations? And I'm talking about millennials, I'm talking about 20-somethings. Are you gonna look at those locations and go, where do I want to live? And almost always, people are going to lean towards that location that gives them things to do and reasons to be in the city outside of just what they do from nine to five. Yes, you need to have the jobs, you need to have the capital, you need to have the infrastructure, you need to have the affordable housing, you need all of those key components. But without the arts and culture component, you're competing into a vacuum with a million other places. Again, it's the same reason why a lot of kids pick a college. They're looking at not just what they can major in, they're looking at what can they do on campus? What does the city around the campus offer? And that thinking follows them into the workforce. The perception that Hartford shuts down after 5 o'clock, um, there's something to that when businesses are, are you know not open on weekends and they're only open 9 to 5 on a Monday through Friday. But the reality is is that the majority of people at night are in establishments. So they're in Theater Works, they're in Harford Stage, there's 10,000 people in the XL Center. What people are not seeing is the foot traffic. So we don't have that critical mass of people living downtown where there's constant foot traffic. And so that's what feeds into that perception that Harford is closed for business after five o'clock especially in the wintertime. Nobody wants to be outside when it's six degrees, right? A lot of what we're trying to do with the Hartford Business Improvement District is we're doing more series types events. We're doing more free stuff, outdoors, live music, arts on the streets, things like that. So that's part of it is that you give those people something to look at and do while they're on the street so that there is that perception that there's stuff happening and going on.
1: Artists and creatives are an important part of the workforce, especially in the digital age. Does your company have a logo? Chances are it was created by a graphic artist. However, you don't need to work in a creative field to benefit from arts-focused skills training. Once again, David Fay.
2: You, you know, you talk about the, the workforce. Education, I believe, uh, increasingly in the future, is going to reverse a trend that has been going on for quite a long time. And that is, uh, you know, in the Industrial Revolution era, we needed to create an education system that graduated individuals from that system who were basically interchangeable parts in a huge economic machine. In doing that, the education system really was designed to shove out the natural creative inclinations of human beings. It was, no, 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 I don't need you to be unique and different. I need you to fit into this particular peg. We are going to have to redesign the education system to draw out the individuality of, of, of everybody. What used to be considered skilled labor uh, is now being taken over by artificial intelligence. What it both allows and demands is that we human workers are going to have to spend more time in the creative imaginative domain uh, because that's the contribution that, that we as human beings will be making to ourselves, our society, our communities.
4: We get a lot of folks who initially think that taking an improv class is about being funny or having fun or being a star.
1: Julia Pistel is the managing director and founding member of CT Improv, a for-profit theater in Hartford.
4: And it certainly can lead to those things or be about those things, and we love that. But what improv is really about is about being a great listener, being flexible and adaptable, about collaborating and communicating really well. It's also often about letting go of your own idea. If we're doing a scene or a show together and I'm like, I have the best idea ever and you start the scene and we're going in a different direction, I just have to say, that's what this is, it's okay. That's what collaboration is about. And all of these skills are extremely important for any workplace. I've been shocked how many companies, I mean, all the big ones in Connecticut, ESPN, Lego, every insurance company, Um, They've all brought us in and we're not pitching them. They're saying we need people to help us get our workers more adaptable or our workers more open minded. And one thing I've been really thinking about lately is (laughs) the word creative has started to occupy this like strange, weird sphere um, in corporate life where people think being creative just means you do some art in your free time or it means you're a creative Like you work in a marketing agency making ads. And we should all be creative. That's so important. I mean, what job is more creative than computer science, for example? When we have people come through our doors, um, whether they're in the audience or taking a class saying like, oh, well, I'm not creative, so I'm going to be bad at this. It's like, what kind of world are we building? What kind of community do we have that people say like, I just can't open my mind. I don't trust myself. Of course, it comes out of fear. Like, I don't trust myself to... Think creatively. We're going one by one to folks in the community, being like, "Yes, you can do it. You know, you can think creatively. You can collaborate. Um, you can say something weird, and maybe it'll be awesome. And you know what? If it's terrible, whatever. We don't care. You know, you're not going to burst into flames. Um, so it's a blast. I've I've been shocked how meaningful it has been to work with really corporate types because they're the ones who come back to us and say, "This changed my life," or "This changed my marriage," or my boss and I get along better. That's real change, and it's important collaborative change, especially for Connecticut, which can be very rigid at times. There's a
3: research study that tells that One of the main reasons a person is fired or cannot keep a job is because of their inability to work with others. Here's
1: Bonnie Koba from the Connecticut State Office of the Arts.
3: And the arts teach so many of those intrinsic values. So besides the idea of arts for art's sake, the arts are important in developing character and helping people know how to work on a team and changing perceptions and communicating thoughts and ideas and opening up emotions and engaging students.
1: Arts and culture are a necessary part of a well-rounded education. According to the Brookings Institute, arts educational experiences have a remarkable impact on students' academic, social, and emotional outcomes to help better prepare them for the future. Dr. Constance Devereaux is an associate professor and director of the MFA of Arts Administration program at the University of Connecticut. We asked her what you can do with an arts degree.
5: So let me tell a couple of stories. I have two sons who are grown. Uh, They're both visual artists. One is a commercial artist and earns a a living, does very well. So I think there are a lot of just mistakes about what it means to be an artist and what it takes to be successful and, and the kinds of jobs that you can have. So my two very talented sons, the one who does commercial artwork, Um, He does work that probably you would see uh, if you went to fine hotels around the world because designers buy his work and that, you know, that's art. So that's one job that you could do is become a commercial artist or the kind of artwork that you see in um, stores like Walmart. You know, you go through the art section. Well, somebody had to create that work. So that's a job there. And then in that company that produces that, there's an art director and there are probably uh, you know, a whole room full of designers. And then there are the salespeople who decided maybe that they didn't want to produce art, but they have to know something about art in order to sell it well. So when people ask me this question, rather than say, you know, here's the long list of things, I always say, what do people want to do? Because artists are natural problem solvers. They're natural leaders. What we really want is for artistic people to be out in the world doing whatever job they want to be doing to earn a living so that they're part of our community. My program is a master's program. That means you should be a master at what you're doing. That's a tall order, um, but we can aim in that direction. And that means that you're aimed at the top level of management in an organization, it would be analogous to a master's degree, say, in business, the MBA. There we're training people to take over companies, right? Same kind of thing. We're teaching people to manage resources, manage people, manage time, manage ideas. And that's a little bit different kind of training. And I think if I wrapped it all into one term The biggest thing they need to know is how to be good decision makers.
6: Well, introductions are fun because right when they tell you to do it, you can't do them. (laughs) So (laughs) my name is Naomi. I actually go by Cat because not a lot of people know how to say my name properly. And a little bit about myself. I want to do psychology as a major. I'm studying at UConn. I'm going to be living in stores. My main focus is trying to do therapy through the arts. So my first year that I did, I was part of HSIP, which is the Hartford Promise Internship. And it was like my first internship type ever. I had no idea how to do like resumes. I had no idea how to do like any of those little things. And then this year, I'm working at the office here at Center for Latino Progress. And I'm um, practically being like a little office assistant, which is, I love. But I've loved theater. I'm an arts kid too. I love theater. I love art. I love creativity. I love performing. I love singing. That's always been my passion and my suit. However, sometimes... The art won't give you as much money as you would expect. And as a first-generation immigrant, as a first person that comes here, I'm here to establish the rest of my family. I'm here to help my mom, to help my grandma, to help everyone. So then I realized that I have a love for the mind. So I decided to study psychology. And then from that, I was like, but I really love the arts too. So then I thought, I was like, you know, the only reason I really do love the arts is because it's a therapeutic form for me. I get to express myself. I get to dance. I get to sing. I get to be whoever I want to be in the play. So I was like, why don't we use this as therapy. Um, So that's really how it came up and it it took years to develop years. I've been thinking about it forever. I feel like the arts really helped my personality. Who I am, how outspoken I am. Like I said in theater you get to be who you want to be. You know so if you if you want to be the king of a play or the princess or the queen of a play. You get to be that, and you get to personify that. The same thing with dance, and I love dance, and I'm learning how to dance. I'm not the best dancer at all. However, I love to dance. So with dance, it's the same thing. You get to embody a person. You get to embody a character. And with that, especially growing up, especially going through, you know, your phase, your teenager phase, where you're trying to figure out who you are, figure out who your friends are, and all that type of stuff. Throughout that, the arts have been a consistency of who I want to be and how I want to flourish from that. I would feel like if you're young, and you're trying to get an internship, or you're trying to work, and you're, you have an idea for yourself. Like I said, ideas take a long time. Believe in yourself, speak yourself, and most importantly, go about life in a positive attitude. And why I'm saying that is because right now, we have a very negative outlook on life, in general, everywhere around the world. And we're going to get nowhere with that. What we need to do is we have to become more positive. We have to become more joyful. We have to bring in the good in life in order for things to happen. And you're trying to bring that joyfulness into life in every single thing that you do. So that's it.
1: Faithlin Johnson is the founder and artistic director at ACT UP Theatre in Hartford. ACT UP aims to mobilize the power of the arts to promote social justice activism within our community.
7: I really need to qualify this. I am not the only founder of ACT UP Theatre. Um, I have two daughters, um, Tyler Johnson and Priestley Johnson, that are owners of the company as well. Oh,
1: did I forget to mention she's my mom?
7: The reason why I'm saying that is because how we prepare young people is the fact that two-thirds of my returnings that are now young adults are young people that I've worked with most of their lives. They've been in my programs They've been in my life, I've been their mentor, and now they're giving back. So we really push for healthy relationships. Confidence, of course, goes over the top. We push for solid training and teamwork and resiliency, friendship, kindness. We talk a lot about kindness, and we also talk about a lot about family. So we have a lot of times when um, parents feel the need to reach out to us because maybe Their kid was acting fantastic when we have a show on, but when we take a break, the kid goes back to, you know, whatever it is that the parents are concerned about. Um, My daughter, Tyler, is a real advocate. Um, She teaches in the Hartford schools as well. The kids see her. um, They reach out to her. Um, We had kids that have lost um, family members or people in the community. A mom will call us and say, hey, can you spend a few hours with them? Um, They'll come by. um, They're able to talk. Their heart gives them... not only a safe haven, a place to express themselves, and a place that they can go outside of themselves to see the bigger world. So many times we do have kids that have come in, they're having a bad day, um, something's going on at home, um, something's going on in school, but they won't miss rehearsal. And many times they, they, they'll just say to me, this is where I feel celebrated, this is where I feel safe, and the expectations are high. And I think they, they love the fact that we we see them for who they can be instead of the, what they are. So they love that. And they really try to live up to those expectations. I was a teacher in a classroom as well. And um, I've taught gifted and talented most of my life. I don't see those kids any different at all. And my expectations have always been high. As a provider, going in, at least for our companies, we don't go in thinking that we're saving these kids. We're thinking that They're equal shareholders in what we're doing, and we don't go with prejudices of where they're coming from. We just know where we want them to go. We will have the pushback sometimes from a young person that's so used to failing that they push you into a corner to either cut them or something else because they're used to that negative response to their behavior. And I've had it. And I will look at one of my kids, and I call them all my kids, and I'll say, I'm not going to cut you. And I'm not going to take you out of this position, so you better figure it out because it's not going to happen. And they'll look at me like, oh. So that shows not that I'm just invested in them, but I want them to realize that the cycle of failure is not going to happen when you're at active theater. Rich Holland
1: is the Commissioner of Cultural Affairs for the city of Hartford.
7: There's now ample data that verifies that arts and culture is typically one of the top three economic drivers in a city. And I'm delighted that we know that. Right, And and I'm delighted that we can uh, wrap our heads around that and hopefully make investments along those lines. I just want to caution folks not to get too caught up with that. What arts and culture brings to, to a community is so much more. It's so much more than the story that's told through the economics of a place. You can't put a price tag on belonging. And even if it didn't contribute a red cent to the economy, the sense of belonging that it brings to people is worth everything.
1: Throughout this podcast series, we've stressed the importance of building stronger and more inclusive communities. Arts and culture are one of the best avenues to achieve this goal.
8: Well, the Connecticut River is a majestic asset that makes its way through central Connecticut.
1: Mike Zaleski and Deborah Baker from Riverfront Recapture. Riverfront Recapture is dedicated to improving quality of life and urban vitality through cultural events, entertainment, and recreation along the banks of the Connecticut River.
8: The Riverfront Park System is set up in a way that gives people the opportunity to do a variety of different things whether it's our rowing program or our community events, whether it's our large festivals and small concerts.
9: I think Riverfront builds community in a variety of ways. As Mike said, there's so many different options for people in the parks. You can come and and kind of be on your own, but know that there are people around you doing something similar. People come together in our health and fitness classes and that builds that sense of community. Rivers have always been a source of inspiration for people. Cities are built around rivers and it's a place to gather
8: and share things together. I'm very proud of the fact that our events attract a diverse a section of the community. It's not just people from the city or the suburbs. It's everyone. Well, community means something different to everyone. And I, I use the example all the time about the Riverfront Fireworks, our, one of our largest events. And I have the opportunity to welcome the crowd to the Riverfront Fireworks just before the fireworks shoot off at nine o'clock on a Saturday evening. And it's always amazing for me to look up at the plaza, Ortonston Riverfront Plaza, and see thousands of people who have gathered for this fireworks display. It's a diverse it's people from all walks of life who are coming to downtown Hartford and Mortensen Riverfront Plaza to enjoy this free summertime tradition it's an opportunity for people to gather on the river to not only not only celebrate a long time tradition, but also gather with others and gather and get that sense of that you belong to a larger community.
10: Access as a, as a principle is kind of an expectation of the public in the 21st century.
1: Dr. Thomas Lohman, director and CEO of the Wadsworth Athenaeum. The Wadsworth is the nation's oldest public art museum.
10: They don't want to just know that somewhere, something exists that does this. They want to experience it. They want to be a part of it. And um, breaking down the barriers that may exist to participation are what most of the arts colleagues, uh, arts leaders around our state and around our nation are working on uh, quite busily. I'm only here three years, but the Community Engagement Initiative goes back a decade. And uh, with the Help with Foundation, the Foundation initiative was seven years of uh, funding and partnership that allowed for greater public conversations to happen. And it also created free opening hours for the institution. When, when I arrived three years ago and, and looked and saw that the free hours we were opening on a monthly basis were, th- were three hours a month, that seemed to me not what we wanted, to, where we wanted to be. I looked at the participation numbers. You know, Hartford residents were participating at a rate of 40% and the rest of the days of the month they weren't coming in, in as great numbers. And that didn't seem right to me because in the end, the museum belongs to everyone. People can come and say, hey, art museums really aren't for me, but at least you tried, at least you reached out to us. So we created a, a kind of ex- exploded uh, version of the community engagement initiative when we started Wadsworth Welcome. It allows people to come with guests any hour of the day that we're open. Uh, we've seen the participation in the life of the Athenaeum from these Wadsworth Welcome members really uh, blow us away. We, we found out that the people that wanted to be, be coming on a regular basis to the museum are statistically younger than our formal membership base. Uh, so the Wadsworth Welcome population reflects the demography of our city as a city that's actually getting younger. And we now have data on the 27 languages other than English that are spoken in the homes of the people who signed up for the program. Even if you discount the person that said they speak Klingon at home, uh, we, we have a, a, a good measure of how we can reach people and make it a more welcoming place. So on uh, World Museum Day last month, we offered tours in four languages other than English. Y- you praise Connecticut as being a place where you have access to the outdoors, access to the best education in America, and access to uh, a cultural life, a vibrant cultural life. And uh, that's the envy of all my colleagues around North America. And that's not a story that's told often enough.
1: We've spent a lot of time in this episode touting the virtues of the arts, but there are certainly areas for improvement. Like all other topics we've covered in this series, when you look at arts and culture, you'll find disparities, mostly around race, place, and income. The Hartford Foundation recently partnered with the Connecticut State Office of the Arts to commission research to better understand the dynamics of greater Hartford's arts industry. Here's Bonnie Koba of the Office of the Arts.
3: So I think there were no big surprises, but rather the study confirmed a good deal of what we thought we knew, but we didn't have the data to back up. And so the study showed there is a vibrant arts community across the region, That funding and sustainability is a critical concern. About a third of the organizations in this area have only one month of available unrestricted net assets, which makes that a critical concern. Um, And that there's a disconnect between the percent of non-white residents in the greater Hartford community, particularly Hispanic and the percent of non-white professionals engaged in the arts industry.
11: I think that the main driver for me to say, you know what, we need to do something, and that's when we started Cultura Mosaica, was because my grandson was going to be born in 2015.
1: Anna Valentine Jackson, interim executive director and founding member of Cultural Mosaica. Cultural Mosaica promotes Latino culture and heritage in the community.
11: And I was like, what am I leaving for this kid to know? I mean, he has four different heritages through his veins. He's Mexican, he's Puerto Rican, he's Dominican, and he's German. So I'm like, at least we got three of the four that we can definitely give him to learn to learn who he is. But I really wanted him to have something the day I'm not here anymore, um, because I failed to do that as a parent with my daughters. And so I'm like, no, my kid is going to, my grandkid is going to learn about who he is and where he came from and where his ancestors came from and that we are good people, contrary to what he may see on the the news. And so, you know, to see the kids put on, the girls put on some skirts to dance Bomba in the middle of the class and, you know, to catch them, feeling the beat of, you know, a drum and really connecting that to the heart because it's, it's a heartbeat to see them just flourish in those 90 minutes or 60 minutes. It's like, oh, my God, this is exactly why we started doing what we're doing, because we want the babies to connect to that. You know, I, I've been in, in Hartford for 30 years now. I can say that officially. I'm, I'm an official resident of Connecticut, but especially Hartford is home. And so, you know, over the years, I have been able to see the ebbs and flows of what uh, Latinx and Latino communities can bring into the region. Um, But more importantly, what I'm seeing is that over the years, there has been a continuous decrease and decline in the representation of Latino arts in general, whether it's music or uh, visual arts. We look at that and say, okay, you know what? We have a group of young kids, new generations growing in Hartford who don't necessarily have a connection to their own heritage and to their own culture, whether it's Latino or not. And so for us, it's really important that we come back and say, you know what, we need to do a better job with that. It is important because... Take a look at what Hartford and the region looks like. We're very diverse. We have communities from every spectrum uh, and from everywhere in the world, pretty much. We need to be able to um, serve everyone and also learn from each other. And I think that's the more important part, learn from each other and bring down those uh, barriers around knowledge and, and what we know about other people and other cultures, because most of the time it's portrayed by the media in a way that we don't want. And for us, it's really important that people know who who we each are and what we bring to the table.
9: And when you've got the arts especially if you've got a diverse lineup, not only of race and ethnicity, but of age, of gender expression, of all that. Kion
1: Wolf is a WNPR personality in Hartford resident.
9: It's so important because there's no other way to see the world when you're your own self. You have to hear it from the people who are going through it. And the people who are most marginalized have the clearest view of what the truth is, of what's really going on in this world. And that is so valuable. It's If we don't amplify these voices, if we don't put a light on these voices, if we don't absorb that, it's our loss. It's our loss forever. There's a lot of people that you may know are on this LGBTQIA plus spectrum. And sure, yes, if I interview them, you'll probably hear something new about them. But because I have the freedom that I do, I get to look around me and all the people around me who I don't think have had a chance to say what they need to say, and also being interviewed by somebody who is on that spectrum with them, you might hear something more intimate that you wouldn't get in any other way. You might hear questions asked that you wouldn't think to ask, because I've been living in it too, in my own way. But even within that spectrum, I have no idea what it's like to be trans. I, even the labels of the whole of the spectrum as they are, you know, we joke, it's so many letters, LGBTQIA+, plus LMNOP, even though I'm on the spectrum, I still have a lot to learn too. And as I've gotten older, I've realized how very little I know. And I am thrilled when I don't know something and I figure it out or I get a new insight. It's like a little hit of dopamine. And so when you've got voices from people in the arts who are finally getting a platform, the world really does lighten up and diversify to our benefit.
4: I believe so strongly that Everyone wants a community that is outside of work and outside of their house.
9: That's
1: Julia Pistel of CT Improv.
4: I mean, we get so many folks who wanna get deeply involved in an artistic community for friendship, to find people to date, uh, when we're talking about younger people especially. We get a lot of folks who are older and you know they, they've never really pursued an artistic passion and they're just really curious. It's fulfilling this other need in people to do something interesting, do something challenging. One thing that has been interesting for me is a lot of our folks are, you know, they're kind of replacing almost that like church mentality. Like, where do I go once a week where I like know everybody, everybody knows me and I can just do the thing I love? Uh, and that has been our role in a lot of people's lives. Uh, it's it's really nice. And it's also a place for people to nerd out.
7: I think I could best phrase this. We had two elderly come out that had not been out of their house in years. That's Faith Lynn Johnson of Act Up Theater. They said they barely just go to the senior center and back. We got them to come to a performance. And she said, with tears in her eyes, she said, I felt like we have our own Broadway in our own community. And I, I, th- I, I felt that, yes, a mission accomplished. They felt included. We created a talk back session about dreams. So after the show, we had like a little dinner theater. People did not want to leave. They felt so excited that they were able to communicate and talk back. And what we did, we didn't talk a lot about just their mission. We talked about them as a person. And I think those personal conversations opened up so many more. There's so many relationships that have formed from that. Um, knowing that people are people. Whether race, color, religion, knowing that people appreciate beautiful things and art. And art exposes you to the world. It gives you a world in the middle of your hands that nobody can take away. When you have it in a community like ours, you'll see thriving individuals, happy individuals. Um, We say we're putting community back into community theater. A uniqueness about active theater that I think we've really tapped into as well is that We have a lot of siblings on the stage together, parents on the stage with their kids. So everyone kind of shies away from me when they see me because they'll say, I love it. I used to do it when I was younger. And my next thing is, so when are you gonna be in the next show? And (laughs) that really opens the door for them because many of the parents will come to audition with their kids and end up auditioning themselves. We've discussed a bunch of ways that
1: arts and culture can be used to improve our region. But arts and culture also have intangible benefits they can help people achieve personal growth. David Fay, president and CEO of The Bushnell.
2: Well, the arts and culture are a reflection of what's going on in society, in humanity, in our world, and certainly in our community. It enriches the life of every citizen, and it you know, provides great opportunity for expression. And I like to call the arts the, the gymnasium of imagination. It's in the arts experience that the human being can really stretch their imagination, which is not just about enjoying the arts. It's about really working on that side of your brain. This is something that's not just a nice amenity to have but it's really an important part of of our human advancement
11: i consider myself an official arts dabbler
1: again Anna valentine jackson of cultural mosaica
11: i'm not by any means a a jewelry maker i'm not a painter i'm not a musician i will probably die starving as a musician because i cannot sing a tune or play a note but I find that for me personally it helps me balance myself mentally when I am overstressed and I can go and paint something whether it's a it's something my four-year-old grandkid could have done you know whatever whoever opinions you know um, about it may be the way I see it and my philosophy behind it is that um, the arts have a very very big and strong positive effect on the mental health of people. It's part of our like like that heartbeat, like that pulse. You know, if you cannot come come down, if you're always up, so the arts help me come down, and it may help others to do the same. We really need to convey the message and relay the message to people that you know the arts really matter.
2: Well, I, I, the Bushnell, like the other major arts institutions uh, and the academic institutions and the hospitals, you know, we're not going anywhere.
1: David Fay of the Bushnell.
2: We're not going to pull up roots and move our headquarters to, to Puxic Wyoming. We're going to be here. So we have a responsibility, uh, I certainly believe, to collaborate uh, very closely with each other, uh, with government, and with the business community to do Everything we possibly can to enrich the lives of of our citizens, to enrich the lives of everybody in our region. We have terrific staffs, great boards who are very influential in the community. So I think our vision needs to go beyond the walls of our institutions and and that which we do on a daily basis.
9: How do I put this succinctly?
1: (laughs) Once again, Kion Wolf of WNPR.
9: For our survival as a species. For our survival as a city, our survival as a country, our survival as a world, we need to be informed in these ways. We need to be inspired in these ways to survive. And I don't mean that in a cutesy way. I mean it for us to keep going for the long term, for the kids who are coming up underneath us. And it's funny because when I think about kids, we're in a tough spot in a lot of ways right now. And so we think, oh, well, the, the kids, they've got this. They're, they're They know what they're doing, you know. But we need to do everything we can to make sure that we now, because I care about us, we now too, (laughs) that we here now and those who are coming up behind us have as much of a, a clear vision for what the world has to offer and what we can accomplish together. And there's no other way to do that than to have a diverse way of expressing ourselves.
1: The arts are about more than seeing a play or looking at a painting. They can build the skills we need to be more engaged at work and help foster innovation. They help our children to be well-rounded individuals and prepare them for the future. Arts and culture not only build community, they can help make our neighborhoods safer. We as a region can and should do more to support the arts and culture in our communities. Without them, life would be boring. Before we end this episode, we have one request. By now, you should understand the power that arts and culture have in a region like ours. The Hartford Foundation is asking you, whether you're a resident or an arts organization, to think about new and unique ways that arts and culture can be used to tackle disparities, be a solution to our problems, and make Greater Hartford a better place. Reach out and let us know. We leave you now with one final
0: thought from Chip McCabe of the Hartford Business Improvement District. I'm a pie-in-the-sky person when it comes to towns and cities to begin with. I drive through a town and I'm like, you could put music there, you could put a mural there. I mean, that's just how I look at cities and towns in general. For me, when I look at Hartford, I absolutely see potential to create more arts and more entertainment. You know, I I literally look at every single building and think to myself— What can we do to make this more entertaining? And that's just, I think, if you get more people thinking in that, in those terms, then those creative minds start to come together. That's when a lot of your pop-up stuff starts to happen. You start to fill empty retail space, maybe with stores and retail that you didn't even think existed. And then you start to see that critical mass of people on the streets. And then that's where the perception really starts to shift. Thanks
1: for listening to Disinvested. I'm Tyler Johnson. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and share with your friends. Next time on Disinvested, we ask, what does it mean to be part of a community? Join us for our final episode. This podcast is created by the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. Produced by Tom Zeleznack, Steph McGillivary, Michaela Mendergraw, and Autumn Gordon-Chow. Music provided by Among the Acres. Special thanks to everyone who appeared in this episode. The Hartford Foundation supports organizations in Greater Hartford through grants, capacity building, public policy, and more. Visit hfpg.org to learn more.
3: So we've lost, but the time-